0: Hey everybody, it's Sean Sewell with InGearMet.com podcast, coming at you with a really, really awesome interview with a fellow strong first kettlebell loving, calisthenic doing, Hebrew badass. His name is Alex, the Hebrew Hammer Sulkin. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. I like that,
1: Hebrew badass. I might actually have <laughs> to just change the name if Warner Brothers decides that I can't use Hebrew Hammer or Miramax or whatever it was. Or DC. No, Exactly, or DC, yeah. whatever he's a hero oh. through.
0: I will advocate for you, Alex. we we'll go we'll Appreciate go like this. Ab- absolutely. So um, Alex and I have a lot of common interest, And I think the funniest one that people will gather right off the bat is uh, Alex lives in Omaha. And so Alex, what brought you to Omaha in the first place? Well, I was uh, born and raised in Omaha, actually. I, um
1: Yeah, born and raised in Omaha. Um, moved to Israel when I was 26 and went and became a citizen. Uh, this is back in 2013. And um, lived there for four and a half years. And then I moved to Pennsylvania, uh, largely, well, actually exclusively to work with a good friend of mine, Pat Flynn, and collaborate on a couple of projects um, and uh, get some mentorship from him on my own online business. And then when he went to, he decided to uh, move his family to Wisconsin in mm-hmm. April of this year. And, uh, you know, I, I liked the people that I was around in Pennsylvania, but I didn't really feel like a, a strong connection beyond, you know, the, um, the, the mentorship that I was there for and that sort of a thing. So at the end of June, I returned to Omaha and, uh, I have been here ever since.
0: That's really cool. I, I grew up and was born and raised 15 years in Omaha, Nebraska as well. Wow. Where well, did you, uh, where did you live in Omaha? I'm curious. 120th and center. Dude, I live
1: well, I'm not gonna tell you where I live right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay, that's not far at all from from where I grew up. Actually,
0: wonderful. Oh my gosh, I went to, I, uh, I went to uh, Beverage and went to Burke High School. Of course. Yeah, yeah. that's where you go. Uh huh. My parents went to Beverage and Burke. Get out of town. Absolutely. Well, stay I mean, in they
1: town. in the like '70s. You know.
0: Well, yeah. Wow. How? What a small world. I mean, if yeah. I were to tell that to like 99% of people I know, they'd be like, "Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> who cares?" <laughs> But that's really cool, Alex. Well, that's, so you grew up in Omaha, great culture. Let's talk about the zoo. Mm, the yes, zoo. That's... Every time I'm with in laws, I'm like, all right, this Denver is. where We live in Denver. Like the zoo is so great. I'm like it's like the petting zoo of the Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, i like bet. whatever. So we're we're playing Scrabble or some boring board game, and I pull up the Google, and it's gotten better since I left. When I left, it was like the third best in the nation, and it had like the biggest aviatory or whatever for birds. What it's called, but um. It's kicking butt, isn't it? It's huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, people never believe me. You know what, I,
1: <laughs> I used to, I, I've been to a couple of the zoos that are considered the best in the world. I went, I've been to the zoo, the San Diego Zoo, which I'll admit would definitely give the Henry Dorley Zoo a run for its money, but mm-hmm. not by a lot. Um, I think what it's got on it is just sheer size and like number of exhibits. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to the, um, the zoo in Prague, Czech Republic. Oh, I bet that was pretty. Yeah, it was it was nice. I, I really don't see how it's number four, however, because it's allegedly like the fourth best zoo in the world. And it was good. I mean, it was definitely worth seeing whatever, but it just, you know, it really doesn't hold a candle to Henry Dorley Zoo. And I remember a number of years ago, um, when I was doing, uh, I went, this was after, just after I graduated uh, university, uh, I got a graduation gift of a trip to Israel, which I purchased myself. So <laughs> nobody gave me this gift. <laughs> I, I just was like, I'm going to go back and see some friends. Cause, uh, as we were talking a little bit before the show, I, I had lived there for six months uh, mm-hmm. prior to moving there full time. And, um, and I met a couple of German guys, uh, when I was in Tel Aviv at we, cause we were in the same, uh, hostel room, uh, at the uh, higher cone hostel in, in Tel Aviv, close to the beach. So we hung out. They were a lot of fun. Like uh, we did all sorts of things. And they told me that they were doing a, an around the world trip, and they were starting in Israel for some reason. And um, <clears throat> so they were going to go all over the place, and then they were going to finish by um, by going to the United States, buying a car, and driving from coast to coast. And they were going to take three months to do it. Wow. And uh, yeah, and so and I told them, hey, you know what? Omaha is right in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the Midwest, stop by, stay for a couple days, and uh, we'll hang out. And, uh, and they did. Most people would just be like, oh, okay, that's nice. And then they wouldn't do it. But they actually stayed. And they, they only intended to stay, I think, for two or three days. But they had so much fun, they stayed for six days. Uh, and one of the things that I was like, like, you can't leave here unless you've done, is see the Henry Dorley Zoo. There it so is. I took them to the zoo and uh and this sounds you know if you've never been to the henry dorley zoo this sounds like such a, you're like oh that's probably the only cool thing to do in omaha <laughs> fact check way. true but <laughs> the henry dorley zoo is like outrageously awesome and so yeah they were they were stunned like they they just had a blast and uh and and they i think they agreed that it was one of the best zoos they'd ever been to
0: that's a great story oh that's so cool um that they even came and visited you and we're so enthralled with you more than you think. And Omaha sure. stayed for six days. And yeah, we zoo- had a, we
1: had a lot of fun. I t- we also did laser tag. I don't think they liked that. They like that quite a bit. We did that a few times, but I don't think uh, I mean, you can play laser tag anyway. You know, Henry. Oh, Gore, sure. Uh,
0: yeah. How funny. Um, was it laser quest tag? Uh, I don't remember actually. It was, um,
1: it was, it was a heck of a workout. I'll tell you that. Cause I right. remember, like lots of obstacles we had to jump around and stuff like that. And, um this was it very well could have been it was a uh, a place in like kind of around the midtown omaha area it was
0: uh like off 72nd dodge a little bit past. oh sure yeah Uh, memories i know right where that's at
1: yeah the reason i
0: I ask is because uh i train data scientists on monday evenings fascinating person loquacious polysyllabolic words right his big thing is laser quest And I was like, are you a super dork? I love it. But like, (laughs) and he's like, yeah, there's multiple levels and like the obstacle course component and the strategery of all that. Strategery. Strategery. Yeah. George Bush word. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think it was laser quest then because I do remember, in fact, we had like, it was really strange is there were rarely ever anybody else there because we went like three or four times. And I think uh, sometimes it was just the three of us. Other times there were, you know, a few other people, but it was definitely multi-level. It wasn't just one floor. So it might've been laser quest. Yeah.
0: Sweet. I'll go with that. Um, my, my personal, my student will appreciate hearing that laser quest is good in Omaha too. So go take his sister visit the zoo. Come to the zoo and then
1: (laughs) play. Now I don't know if the laser quest thing is still there. There, there have to be
0: places. There has to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the same one is there in any case. Well, fair enough.
0: Well, um, last topic on the zoo. What's your favorite exhibit at the zoo? Exhibits. I know. I have to say the rainforest actually. you know, it's so cool, right? Like the world's it, biggest indoor rainforest.
1: Yeah. Um, it has to be that because you know, something, um, I think the first of all, when you go in there, it you really feel like you're in a tropical locale. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing about it apart from, you know, the obvious stuff, like the pathways or whatever that would indicate to you that it's not like, you know, the real deal. I mean, mm-hmm. they have the animals from, you know, from Africa, Asia, India, um, it's really, really cool. And I remember when it opened up and I would think it was like 91 or 92, um, it was like big news, like all oh, over yeah. the place. It was. I think that might very well be what, what really transformed the zoo into like one of the best in the nation or the yeah. best in
0: the world, really. Yeah, and um, the, the exhibit before that that was huge was the uh, Aviatory, right? You walk in, the birds are just everywhere. Yeah, uh,
1: and that's still there. And I think the word is the uh, Aviary. I've been saying wrong for 25 years.
0: I I need to be corrected when I I, (laughs) misspeak.
1: And I hate, you know what though? And I, I I used to be a real like grammar dork and I would correct people all the time. And, and uh, periodically it comes back up and this is an instance where it came back up, but the, the aviary is still there. Still amazing. I mean, I haven't been to the Henry Dorley zoo in a good couple of years. Sure. But, um, but yeah, that, that place is really cool actually. So I, and then they've got the desert dome, which I think is awesome. I
0: haven't been there yet. Oh, okay. But they,
1: yeah, this opened, I want to say 2011, maybe 2012. I'm not sure. I feel like it has to have been since then. Well, next time you come to Omaha, you have to go back to the Henry Dorley Zoo and check out the Desert Dome. Um, it's similar. It's basically like the, the rainforest, mm-hmm. but uh, with the different deserts throughout the world, like again, Africa, Asia, oh, that's um, cool. you know, and other places like that. And so they've, they've recreated like the, the locales, the, the temperature the uh of course the animals stuff like Mm -hmm. that it's it's
0: pretty amazing oh that's really cool well i've been advocating to take a family trip we have nieces uh five four one and and in two weeks we'll have a fourth one and i'm my plan is to get them out there next couple years and take the train out there and just live it up see yeah that would be a blast man for sure well thanks for validating that all right well let's talk about you uh, a little My more than the zoo. Exactly. Everybody's favorite topic. Yeah. Um, so the go-to questions. You grew up in Omaha. Um mm-hmm. and then you you spent four years plus over in Israel. What was it like living in Israel? That's awesome. Yeah. Israel's very cool. You know, the I have to say the great
1: one of the the great perks about living there was I got like mad street cred from everybody because they thought I was just so tough for living in mm-hmm. this quote unquote war zone. It, mm-hmm. it is not a war zone. Um I had a lot of friends. Uh, not a lot. I had a couple of friends from the U S who visited either because they intended to, or, um, or otherwise, like, uh, I had a friend, uh, came in 2016 and he's like, I gotta admit, this is nothing like what I expected, you know, like he just had so much fun. And, uh, you know, I, we, I toured through Tel Aviv. I took him to, I was living in Jerusalem most mm-hmm. of the time. So, um, we, you know, I took him through the old city of Jerusalem, you know, some of the, uh, through the marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Israel is a really incredible country. Um, I, I loved it there even when it was not easy. Cause like people forget how easy people don't even know. They don't realize how easy life is in the U S mm-hmm. um, you know, in Israel, it's like, it's tough for pretty much everybody just because it's like, you know, cost of living is high amount of money that people make, uh, isn't necessarily very high. So that's really the bigger challenge of living there. It's not, you know, again, people you'll get mad street cred if you live there because people will think you live in, you know, some hostile territory, but, uh, no, but the reality is it's it's like beautiful. You've got like every, uh, every type of, of locale you could hope for. You've got beach, mm-hmm. you've got snow capped mountains, you've got desert, you've, snow got, uh, mountains. you've got, uh, you've got wide open plains. You've got, uh, all sorts of stuff, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, it's just such a cool country. I didn't know about the mountains. Oh. Yeah. I, I like yeah, mountains. the Mount Hermon. <laughs> it's, uh,
0: yeah, so you should totally go and bring your bring your snowboard. I will. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I have a gym inside a Jewish law firm, Brownstein Hyatt, Farber, Shrek here in Denver. And mm. in the mornings, I trained group classes, and uh, one of the attorneys, um, he went back to Tel Aviv to visit the family and for other religious purposes. And he says the closest city it reminds him of is Miami, Florida. Mm. And um, because he went to clubs, I said DJ, so his easy way for him to reference it to me was you know, Tel Aviv was like the nightlife of Miami, young people and, you know, tropical and all this great stuff.
1: Is that true? Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I've been to my, I, I think it's a little bit more palatable than Miami because I've been to Miami. <laughs> I liked yeah. Miami actually. I remember when I went there, this was one month before my RKC actually oh, boy. I went there with some friends and um, we met at, well, most of the time we spent in Fort Lauderdale or as yep. I like to call it Fort Lickerdale for sure. <laughs> so, but we took a drive to Miami. I think it was probably about 45 minutes. And, um, I loved that. I thought it was so cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, but the thing is I couldn't have imagined living there. Like I could imagine, I, I kind of thought like a scenario in my head, you know, like if I were a year or two younger, you know, had mm-hmm. just finished college, just wanted to take, spend like, take a year off and just like, cut loose before you know getting a job or like a real career i would totally live in miami like work as a waiter on the beach oh, you know yes. just south spend, beach you know spend your nights you know partying yeah like spend your days waiting tables or whatever and just cut, like kick back um I, in many ways you do the same thing in tel aviv actually sure. because you see plenty of people who who do that um i think the the cool thing about tel aviv is i get the impression miami not necessarily safe everywhere you go no um Tel Aviv is different because even in places where it's not like the best part of town, like you walk through there and I never really felt like I was in any sort of danger. I mean, the truth is actually every place in Israel is like that. Just about, I really can't think of, um, and like same with Jerusalem. Like I remember it it would not be uncommon to see like a young woman walking alone at like four in the morning, you know, on like a Friday or a Saturday. Um, and you know, like the likelihood that she's going to get accosted or assaulted. I'm not saying it's not, it's not there, you know, because mm-hmm. like the possibility always exists, but most of the, most of the people I've talked to, you know, women, men told me the same thing. They, you know, they feel no fear about walking alone late at night.
0: That's um, really encouraging. I, I, yes. I spend time in South Beach, Miami. And like you, I could probably last three days there before I lose all control. Probably why up with STD. And no money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was completely like by accident, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I was DJing there. Uh, it was a winter music conference. So it's like this epicenter of like where DJs in this hemisphere go to party. And there's like this ultra festival. It's like ultra rave. But every hotel on that um, South Beach, like uh, that street is a college, I think. It's like this Art Deco kind of Cuban looking area. And I'm, I'm DJing. There's, there's Sasha. There's Sasha's father doing whatever he's doing. And um, everybody's partying. And like that's mm-hmm. fun and all, especially if you're in your mid-20s. I'm 40, yeah. almost 41. I would not go back. No, but
1: <laughs> I, you know what? I'm, I'm uh, in my early thirties and I'm like, if I'm not in bed by like ten thirty max, I'm like, you, I'm getting stressed you're out. Partying man. I mean, 30, 30 <laughs> eight hours, dude.
0: I hear you. Uh, my wife and I were, we're so uh, it's funny. We were both very active in our twenties doing going up. well, she's 10 years younger than me and we would be out till four in the morning. Now we get up at four in the morning, you know, like life yeah. changes in a positive way. And I think it's a good segue for your next part. You, you, well, what brought you into the path of fitness and health for yourself?
1: Well, for myself, I think even as a little kid, I always thought that being fit was cool. Now, I wasn't particular; I was physically active, I would say, because I mm-hmm. grew up right next to a creek, for example, uh, and I used to like to go play in the creek and see how long it would take me to go from like, uh, at least in the little patch of houses that uh, that I lived in, to go from one side to the other, because the way that it was is there would be like, one side that was like a really perilous slope and it was very hard to climb on and the other was was a pretty easy slope right but it would switch so like i would jump from one side to the next and i would climb and you know crawl and stuff and i would see how long it would take me to get from one side to the other this was before somebody would call child protective services for letting kids play (laughs) outside unsupervised um i also did gymnastics from i want to say maybe the age of like four until i was maybe like eight Mm -hmm. um You know, but it wasn't competitive. It was just purely, you know, for fun. Yeah. Um, But you know, I did stuff like that. It was just kind of a part of my childhood. I was not allowed to have video games in the home. Um, We were allowed to play if we went to friends' houses, but you know, my parents had a rule: there's no video games in the house. And uh, so, you know, I managed to find other things to do. And I, I remember, in terms of like fitness, as we would would view it, like something that's very, um, something that's very Uh, like, like organized and specific and and what have you. Um, I remember, first of all, I remember seeing a pop tarts commercial when I was a little kid. And there was a there was one of the guys in the commercial had like a well developed chest. And I was like, I want to be muscular like that. I want to look like that guy. And, uh, and so I kind of and we had some old, like gym equipment in our basement. Actually, I think if my parents it's still there, if they were to sell it now, they could probably get pretty good money because that's a like borderline antique at this point. Um, But I I started kind of like doing some curls and stuff like that with those things and and what have you. Um, But so it was pretty sporadic and it wasn't until like, I mean, I think when I was 14, I started being a little bit more consistent. And then it kind of, I would fall by the wayside and, you know, and then I'd pick it back up and what have you. And it really, uh, it wasn't. So basically I, I grew up kind of like scrawny and goofy and unathletic and uncoordinated. Um, for most of my life. And, uh, you know, like, I I, I always tell the story, like, I was never really picked last in gym class, but I was picked close to last, you know, quite often. And, um, you know, I never ran faster than I think a seven and a half minute mile. You know, I remember one story, uh, we were weight training uh, in junior year of high school, and I got like buried (laughs) on a pretty lightweight bench press and my spotter was talking to one of his friends and you know he didn't he didn't see me and i just couldn't push the thing back up so i had to like roll it down to my hips and then set it on the floor and the gym teacher like screamed at him from across the room and our gym teacher yeah. was not a small dude i mean he was like i don't know how much you, he had to have been at least 250 260 like wow. muscle yeah. and like and hate in this case because <laughs> he was so mad at this guy and he yelled at him like you're supposed to be watching him you know you're like what are you doing so like all weights were down. Nobody was talking. Everybody was looking over at us. And my spotting partner had like a beet red face, mumbled something under his breath. I, he wasn't mad at me. He was he was embarrassed at having been called out. Yeah. But, but I felt totally ashamed. You know, I was like, I, you know, I, and I to this day, I don't know how much was on the bar. I mean, it, ha, it couldn't have been more than like, like a broomstick with a couple of bagels. On each <laughs> it was not a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think when that happens to people, they kind of think, you know, maybe this whole, strength and fitness thing like everybody else it seems to be so natural for them they just mm-hmm. get it and and for me like i just didn't get it like i wanted to but it just never really connected with me and so uh, when i turned uh 19 uh, a friend of mine was really he he, uh, brought, he he invited me over to his apartment he's like dude we got to watch this martial arts movie called Ong bak the thai warrior and i was mm-hmm. like okay so it's starring tony ja this thai actor he plays a guy who is um he's like a a villager and he's really good at at muay thai he practices you know uh like all the he practices all the time basically and he had this like this really top-notch teacher he's just a simple villager you know and the idol of the village gets stolen by some marauders and so his teacher tasks him with bringing it back you know to restore order to the village or whatever So he's got to go into Bangkok, he's got to track this thing down. And uh, he finds himself in like an underground fight club. There's some big American guy who's just wailing on everybody. And he knocks this guy out with like one knee to the chest. And uh, in his quest, right? So we're like enamored with this movie. And so we're like, we got to do Muay Thai. Is there a place we can do Muay Thai? Well, it turns out there is there's a there's in, in, in fact, it's not just any Muay Thai school, the the owner is a guy named Mick Doyle, and the, it's still there. Actually, um, it's uh, uh, Mick Doyle's Martial Arts Center, and uh, and Mick Doyle was was no average Joe. He's uh, an Irish immigrant who uh, I think he came to Omaha when he was like eighteen, and uh, opened up a uh, like a martial arts school. He's got he got at a younger age, he got black belts and like karate and taekwondo, um, but he also studied. I believe in London under master Toddy, who's like, who's like a champion builder for Muay Thai and Mick became a two time world kickboxing champion. Oh, wow. And he, he's right there in Omaha. And so I remember now at the time I thought, well, this must be like a chain of gyms. Cause there's no way that like a, a dude this awesome. It just right. lives in Omaha. So my friend Trevor and I, we went and went to the school because we were interested in starting classes. This was in 2006 to give okay. you know, give some perspective. And, um, and sure enough, he was behind the desk. I was like a little bit starstruck, you know, I didn't know the guy existed until like two days prior, mm-hmm. but he was just right there. And, I, you know, I, we went there to, you know, get a tour, gave us a tour of the place. And we're like, well, can, you know, what do we have to do? And he's like, why don't you come try a free class and see if, you know, see if it's right for you. I, like it annihilated us, man. Like <laughs> it was, it was tough. Like I was sore, I think for a week. And uh, I told Trevor, I was like, we gotta, we gotta sign up for this gym, man. Yeah. So uh signed up and I did that. For, I want to say maybe like a year and a half. Um, and so martial arts like, was something that I wasn't really very good at it, but, uh, but it was something that I felt like made more sense to me. And, and so from there, I started doing some of the stuff that my friend Trevor was doing because he was getting into bodybuilding. So um, like recreationally, not like professionally. So, you know, he, he, I would watch what he was doing and then he would show me a couple of things. Like, you know, you can you know, try this. Like here's, you know, hammer curls for, you know, you know oh, yeah. your biceps and your your forearms. Here's uh dumbbell flies, here's dumbbell kickbacks, you know, here Mm -hmm. whatever. So I you know, I think I don't remember exactly what all of it was, but it had to have been different chest exercises, you know, like what any good self respecting young lad would uh would want to do. Sure. And nothing for the legs because they don't uh, exist. Well, I, well, you know, for me, I didn't want to get them tired out before Muay Thai. So it didn't make any sense to do anything. Oh, well, you have an excuse. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it was a terrible excuse, but that was, that was it. And, um, and so the, from there, it kind of started to feel like it made a little more sense to me. And it, it had a purpose. It wasn't just picking things up and putting them down. It was ostensibly to make me better at Muay Thai. Um, and then eventually, I ended up um, a friend of mine in my university Spanish class named Drew Christensen. Um, he, the funny story about him is he and I were not friends in middle school and high school. I did not like him at all, but, um, we ended up a few years later being in the same Spanish class and, you know, we really hit it off and, uh, we got along great. And, um, so he would, I, w- I would usually get to, I think the class was at one and I would usually get, um, uh, to like the building where it was taking place at around, uh, like 1245. And so he was really getting into this thing called kettlebells at
0: mm, the time. Yeah.
1: And I had heard of kettlebells before from this oblique reference. There's not even a picture, just a reference to what a kettlebell was in a book on Bruce Lee's training methods called the art of expressing the human body. Uh, and it, cool. it purports to talk about his weight training regimen throughout the years. And Bruce Lee used to train with kettlebells, but what he trained with was a, a handle extension that you'd put on a dumbbell um, from uh from a company called milo that oh, yeah. sold these people because kettlebells at this point if you look at like for example uh, bob peoples who's one of the most famous uh weight uh not weightlifters but uh but we'll say like strong men of all time at, at 180 pounds he deadlifted i think 730 pounds with no wraps double overhand grip um and uh just like like unbelievable strength. If you know anything about deadlifting, I know paltry little, but I'll tell you that is like practically unheard of. Um, so wow. at any rate, but he used to train with kettlebells. So you'll see them in his, in his training dungeon. But um, so some people in the fifties and sixties knew about kettlebells still. Um, but otherwise the only way to train in, in kettlebell style was with this handle extension. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, he showed me these pictures that looked nothing like what I had expected because of what I had read told me about this, this bad mofo named Pavel who used oh, to, heard of him. yeah, it's nice, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, okay, that's intriguing. Um, he, uh, but I wasn't really like a hundred percent interested. And then one day it was probably, it was late March or early April, 2008. He called me over. He said, or he called me up and he said, Hey, do you want to come over and try a kettlebell workout? And to this day, I don't know why, but I said, yes, I said, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. And, uh, so I drove over there and he was showing me, I remember he showed me the swing, the clean press, the snatch and the Turkish getup. And I have no doubt in my mind that we did them in the worst possible <laughs> technique you could imagine. I love but it. For, this was the missing link for me. For me, it felt like the, everything now made sense. It was like, you know, this is tough, but, it's, uh, but this is what it feels like it should be to lift iron. You know, Mm -hmm. like number one, we're out in his driveway. Like we weren't confined to some dingy basement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, it felt like, you know, there was some speed involved. There was some slow controlled movements involved. It it just seemed uh, more well-rounded and it was something that really spoke to me. So, I mean, he did like the the best thing a friend possibly could. He loaned me, enter the kettlebell. He loaned Mm -hmm. me the naked warrior and he loaned me a 25 pound kettlebell. And, uh, and so I started training and eventually I hired a coach uh, Scott Stevens, who is still a good friend of mine and, uh, still coaching here in Omaha. And, uh, the rest is history.
0: That's awesome. What a great friend to get you the tools. To Dude, for you- real. Yeah.
1: Like, the only thing that he could like, seriously, that's like the equivalent of taking a bullet for somebody practically, you know, like yeah. in terms of like really transforming their life. I mean, maybe slightly less, more dramatic than, you know,
0: yeah, taking a, a knife. Taking a bullet's a little bit, <laughs> I would say bigger than loaning somebody a piece of iron, but whatever. You get the point. It's a very big uh, and well-received point. Correct. Yeah, I mean, looking, you have so much helpful content. I've been looking at this for the last few days. Um, you did your RKC. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember when you wrote a paper about that, and um, it actually got me very intrigued about the RKC. And then I met Eric Frohart, and then I did the SFG three mm-hmm. times, and the SFB and SFL. Um, yeah, th- so thank you to Eric is my Eric is my version of your guy that got me in that path to Eric's a man. Eric is a man for sure. (laughs) He's here in town actually too. I was going to say, yeah, I thought he was from Colorado. Yeah. Last time I saw him, we went for a a hike or a ruck for him uh, on a a nice little path by a thousand foot gain. And he had a backpack on with like 50, 60 pounds of dumbbells in it, heart rate monitor on and never got above one thirty. while I'm like, you know, catching my breath and he's talking about breathing through his nose and all these amazing, you know, he's got all these great tips, um, and he's just so humble about it too. And he's just such a badass.
1: Yeah. Eric is a dude where if you don't see
0: him, he sees you. Yeah, and it might be too late if he doesn't <laughs> like you. He's he is retired. Uh, maybe seal sniper, you know, That's what I'm talking about dude. I, <laughs> yeah. I remember the first SFG. Uh, he was up way up on a rack and I guess what perch in his mind and getting nice photographs of us. It was cool. Yeah. Great yeah. guy. I'm up, hoping to have him on a show before. I think he might be moving to DC for uh, his new gig. Mm -hmm. great guy great guy so what's your favorite part about the RKC well that's a good question because you know my RKC
1: was really a a monumentous occasion Mm -hmm. um, because for me now when I started training with kettlebells with with uh, Scott Stevens um, I remember from pretty early on you know he was like you should consider doing the RKC and this Mm -hmm. was back in I think 2000 so I started training with him 2008 and then would meet up with him uh, periodically in 2009. For half of 2009, I was living on a kibbutz in Israel. So, um, you know, I had some time to think it over, but he would always say, yeah, you know, I really think you'd be a good RKC, you should sign up for it. But to me, you know, the RKC was like, you know, I'm just not, I'm not good enough for that. Like, I just, I could never do it. Um, And then oddly enough, the thing that convinced me to become an RKC was uh, I sold Cutco for three months, in the summer of 2009. And for people who don't know what Cutco is, uh, it's like the world's finest cutlery. It's a direct sales job. And I was, I think I was about, uh, would have been 23 years old at the time. You know, I had uh, never worked in a job where you had to hear rejection so much. And so learning how to overcome that and learning also that you're not just selling a product you're actually selling yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you really get to use your personality to your advantage, no matter what it is. You can be very introverted, be very extroverted, but you can use that to your advantage. And then you, and you can do things you just never thought you'd be able to do, Mm -hmm. Uh, like convincing someone that you don't know over the phone to let them let you into their house. with a bag full of sharp knives. (laughs) Like I realized, you know, if I can do that, I could probably do this RKC thing. That's a beautiful um, analogy. So I signed up for the Orlando RKC in two th- in October of two thousand ten and uh it was I, I trained about five days a week for something like eight months to prepare wow. and uh when we got there i mean it really like nowadays the 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 certs have attended some of them are still quite big, but nothing was quite like this i mean there were dozens and dozens of people there uh they had four team leaders uh Pavel was teaching oh wow like it was actually, I remember uh, there was a meet and greet on, on Thursday evening at the hotel uh, that, that you know, everybody was staying at. And it, the the place where the cert was held was the Wide World of Sports Arena, <laughs> nice. which was like just nuts, man. It was like yeah. Disney all over the place. <laughs> and it was just larger than life. We were in this like big, huge tent. Thankfully, it was covered because October in Florida is not like October in Nebraska, man. It's like, yeah. it was murderously hot outside. But Um, but I remember Pavel walked out of a restaurant. I was sitting talking to this one guy like, what do you think it's going to be like? I heard in the last one, you know, they had to do X, Y, and Z. And we were trading horror stories of things we didn't even go through. And all of a sudden, boom, like Pavel walks out. Like I've never in my life been so starstruck that I literally couldn't say a word. Like I could just stare like he, you know, he just walked past. Mm -hmm. And it it was like, to me, it would be like, I think the only other person that I would have that kind of reaction to now would be like if Arnold Schwarzenegger walked Mm -hmm. by, you know, it was incredible. Um, And, uh, but the whole workshop, I really do think it was harder than what they do now, because I think Mm -hmm. back then there was still like a sense of, we want to weed out the people who are just not going to be right. And they still do that, but they do it in different ways now. Mm -hmm. Um, But back then, like, it was kind of like, they almost took it upon themselves to just like, you know, work you as hard as they could, yeah. And uh, and it was great. I mean, it was like an experience that I'll, I'll I'll never forget. But I I think my f- one of my favorite parts there are a couple. So I would say in terms of in uh, w- terms of workout, well, the snatch test is a good example because back in those days you had to do it first. And for people who aren't familiar with the snatch test, are are people your your listeners probably understand?
0: I, the I think part. they do. But we can revisit that. I mean, so in your case for RKC, was it? Yeah. Uh, 24 kilos for you or was it based upon your body weight a little differently and repetitions differently? 24 kilos man and it's i cool. weighed like a buck 55 like so Ooh, good, that's rough yeah
1: it was murder so i managed but it was but i was also not as strong back then i was unbelievably conditioned mm-hmm. um but not as strong and so the the conditioning for the snatch test wasn't the issue it was the it was the strength more than anything and the ability mm-hmm. to you know keep putting the weight overhead uh you know, for all those reps. Fortunately, back then we did, you did that first. Mm-hmm. So I was still fresh. The rest of the weekend was easy by comparison. Sure. I mean, it was still really hard, but, um, but the snatch test was, for me was really tough. Yeah. It, it's still the worst thing ever. <laughs> I, I had to do one recently cause I had to do my research for, uh, level two. Mm-hmm. I have a video I, have to po- I posted it on my, pardon me, on my, um, Instagram, uh, the IGTV thing. Mm-hmm. Um, i saw it
0: pop up i got about a minute and a half into it
1: yeah okay. and it's so boring man it's so like boring.
0: yeah it's like you're doing great awesome it sucks yeah okay
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so um but yeah i found it actually be pretty easy but my my preparation i learned kind of the hard way about the, the right way and the wrong way to prep i mm-hmm. passed the rkc um but but it wasn't like a breeze i mean it no. was like you know it was tough
0: well, it's for the listeners job. out there, he's got a lot of helpful articles and videos on his YouTube and as well, I'm looking at Strong First right now. There literally is four tips to make the SFG Snatch Test easier with Alex. Bingo. If you follow yeah.
1: that, I've, I've had people email me uh, and say, hey, I did that and like my Snatch Test was a breeze. So right. it's not it's not BS. Like it, that will really make your Snatch Test a heck of a
0: lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that article, I've read a lot of your stuff, but I don't want I misspeak. Is that the double breath technique in there too?
1: Double breath technique is in there, um, and that's something that I learned from the great and powerful Dave Whitley. Um, oh yeah,
0: Dave. I have his book, uh, Superhuman. Superhuman, you
1: yeah yeah. If you, he's I think he's still doing a deal where if you order it, all you do is pay for shipping. Yep, and he autographs
0: uh, it for five bucks, I think.
1: Yeah, and he autographs it, man. That's and, great. and it's Dave's awesome. I had him on my podcast, and he's just like knowledge bomb central. I mean, one of the one of the things that was really great about him, I I did a um, it was the first ever flexible steel workshop in 2012. Ooh, yeah. And, um, John Ingham, I have to brag a little bit because uh, John Ingham asked me if I would come down and be his assistant for the flexibility portion. Nice. So back then what it was, was, uh, and if you've never heard of John Ingham, shame on you. And if you've never yeah, heard well, of flexible steel, I'll put you to John.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, flexible steel is awesome. It's uh, one of the best programs uh, and best systems out there for increasing your flexibility uh, cannot speak highly enough of it. I've gone through a couple of times. I haven't gone through the certification, but I went through the workshop before, um, before it became the certification a couple of different times. And it's like, it's just uh, like incredible knowledge in there. I'm but, hoping to
0: take it here in Denver. The, the, my friend Matthew, uh, who we share the same page on the quick and the dead page 43. Mm. Um, great guy. He's trying to get out to my friend's gym and I'm advocating strongly for it because selfishly I want to take it too.
1: You'll love it. It's yeah. incredible. Um, and John's a John'll be teaching it I assume right I think so yeah yeah he's a phenomenal teacher Excellent. Uh, height of professionalism for sure um, and so back in the day this was the first flexible steel workshop before it became a flexibility only mm-hmm. it was John and Dave teaching so Dave taught the first day on on uh, like all the, the kettlebell techniques basically and, and mm-hmm. how to stack them one on the other to get better wow. and in that workshop he introduced the double breath. And it was interesting because a lot of people had a very difficult time with it. But um, I have a musical background because I play mm-hmm. bass. And so for me, like the rhythm, I, could, I had no problem with. Sure. So once you get the rhythm down, and it's actually not that difficult. It's, there's nothing complex about it. It's just different from what you're used to. But when you get the rhythm down, it's like even when the suck increases, mm-hmm. you've still got the, the wind to keep going. And I just, it sucks.
0: Uh, it does suck, but to, I can absolutely validate what you're saying. I, I did um, the IKFF one and two a few times with Ken Blackburn and he mm-hmm. showed me the double and the triple breath. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I mean, it is a time and place for every tool in the toolkit, right? And uh, if you write about it so well and you demonstrate it so well in your videos, uh, so I'm going to put links to that in the show notes so people can see Great. And cool. learn what you're talking about because it really, it can change the way you perform. Absolutely. It's, it's cool. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You're dropping names that to me mean a lot, and to a lot of listeners, hopefully, will as too. Because um, I love to to learn more from Dave and from John and um, Flexible Steel has been like top of my radar for the last three years, so hoping to do that too. Big time, for sure. So you helped him assist this. Um, you you get to do a lot of cool stuff, man. Like I'm I'm trying like to get my words together so I can ask the right questions because you have so much to offer. Uh, as far as coaching and helping people, so to answer that first question, what got you into it, it? sounds like you you got this path, your friend helped you out, and you didn't just go down that path, like you made the path wider and it, it veered off in great directions with great people, like leaders in our industry, truly. Uh, yeah, it's got feel really amazing to be able to do that, yeah, you know um it's it's been
1: awesome like i I look back and if i had to if I had to kind of summarize my thought process, I think more than anything. And number one, you know, Dan John, uh, likes to point out that the word passion comes Mm -hmm. from the Greek word to suffer passios. Oh, good. I'm good at
0: suffering. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) So,
1: you know, that's the thing is that if there's something you're really passionate about, there's going to be some degree of suffering and the suffering doesn't have to be like physical. It doesn't have to be pain and injury for some people. It is because they're, you know, they, they, they don't do the right things necessarily because I don't think that part of it is a necessity. Mm -hmm. But for example, um, sometimes uh like when i got the the opportunity to assist at the level uh not the level one the uh, flexible steel um you know i went there knowing oh like john wasn't like oh i'm gonna pay you a whole bunch of money he's like you know if you want to come down and help out it'd be great you know like we get to hang out we get to you know we'll get to train with dave we get to see people and i was like so that's not really suffering. That's not actually a good example of it at all. But <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to like, this is a weekend I could maybe go out, like, you know, hanging out with friends, go see sure. some movies, whatever. But, you know, but I'm going to drive up there and I'm going to do that because this is going to be something like, I'm, I'm, I'll I'm i never get this opportunity again. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think more than anything, it was that when the opportunity arose, I, I just always said yes. Like, there, I didn't think about the cost necessarily, mm-hmm. I didn't think about, um, you know, I mean, I figured out what I was going to have to sacrifice in order to, in order to get there. And there is a funny story <laughs> involving almost needing to sacrifice a whole lot more on the way back. Uh, if you want, I'll, I'll tell you the story. We like stories. Okay, so this is back in, in 2012. I, I drove a, a 2000 Saturn SL2, which uh, is nice. not – it was an extremely reliable car, like mm-hmm. like really reliable. But I wasn't 100% sure that it would make six-hour track – to Minneapolis, and then the six-hour trek back to Omaha. So I, I'm i not going to name names because I, I feel like I don't know if the statute of limitations is up yet or not. I don't know if anybody could get in trouble, so I'm not going to mention any names. But um, a friend of mine, I told him, I was like, because he had loaned me one of his cars before to uh, to go up to Sioux, um, Sioux Falls to teach a workshop. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just said, yeah, just don't, don't uh, get any scratches on it and bring it back with a full tank of gas and, you know. You'll be good to go. So I asked him if I could do the same thing, and he said, "You know, I can't. I can't let you do it this time." But a friend of mine is uh, is in the process of of declaring bankruptcy, and she doesn't want to have this this uh, what was it? It was an, uh, two thousand Audi, or maybe it's a two thousand two two Audi TT, baseball leather glove interior, interior six speed. She doesn't want to let that go. So she. Uh, you know so she's uh you can borrow that car and i was like but, but i mean but that's not as not like your car like you yeah. know what if she what if she gets upset he's like well, who's she gonna tell yeah <laughs> she's she's trying to hide it from from uh you know having it repossessed trusty, or whatever so yeah. i was like all right good point so uh so he loaned me this car drove it up there awesome drive i mean it was oh, like sure you know Super cool, and then you know, filling up at the gas station, you feel pretty ba because people are like, you know, yeah, you got a twin cool, yeah, turbo
0: Quattro. Exactly. I, had, I had two it and I, I, they were great cars; they were very fun to drive.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on the way back, so um, it was Sunday at seven o'clock that I decided, okay, I'm going to drive back to Omaha. Like, I'm, I didn't have plans to stay any longer, so I uh, so I drove back to Omaha, stopped at an all night taco place. And um, I got a couple of burritos. And uh, on when I was leaving, I think, before getting back on the Dodge Street, um, I ran a yellow light. Mm -hmm. Now, you know what, actually, I have to go back a little bit. So before my friend loaned me this car, I said, What if I get pulled over? Right? He said, don't get pulled over," I said. "I don't intend to. I drive like like a little old lady. Sure. Never go over the speed limit. But what if I get pulled over?" He goes, "I'll write you a bill of sale." So, <laughs> he wrote on a piece of notebook paper. He just yeah. wrote, you know, uh, "I selling this car to Alex Salkin for X amount of dollars." Mm-hmm. Put his friend's name uh, and his address uh as on the bill of sale again on notebook paper i think there were still fringes from tearing it out of the notebook <laughs> yeah and he's like just put this in with like all the other information now here's the other thing is that this car had a uh out of date license plate. i think they i think they'd oh. expired in like 2002 <laughs> this was 2012 just to give what? you an idea yeah oh my so, there's a
0: lot of sloppy factors in here
1: oh yeah so <laughs> uh, the, the person who owned this car uh, a friend of uh a friend of theirs had to, had to transport it from California, meaning mm-hmm. like drove it from California to Omaha. Um, but it was in a garage the whole time. And so it was just never, almost never driven. Mm-hmm. And so I put my Saturn plates on it so that it would at oh. least have some updated oh. plates. No. So, now, I, to me, that sounded like a good idea. Like I didn't I did. realize what I was doing was so illegal. <laughs> and so, yeah. so uh, anyway, fast forward to driving homes 1 a.m. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And it's on a, on a Sunday. So the cops are probably still thinking, hey, you know, we can hit, we can get somebody for drunk driving or whatever. Sure. So anyway, I, I think I went through this yellow light and this cop started following me and I was like, I'm going to jail. And yeah. this was the only time in my life. Like my blood literally ran cold. I mean, my entire body felt cold. Yeah. It was crazy. So I was like, oh, "Man!" So I, I pulled over. Cop gets out of the car and uh, asked me, "Do you want to tell me why you're driving this Audi with Saturn plates on it?" They said, uh, "Well, officer, I uh, uh, just bought the car, and there uh, the plates were expired. So I just wanted to make sure that it had it had uh, updated plates on it." He said, "Are you aware that it's illegal to put the wrong plates in the car?" And I I was being totally honest. I said, yeah. "Honestly, no. I had no idea that it was illegal." Yeah. And he goes, "Give me see your license and registration. So I showed him license and registration uh-huh. for my Saturn. It was all updated, right? And he goes, when did you say you bought this car? And I said, a few days ago. He goes, a few days ago? Well, where's your bill of sale? And so I was like, yeah. oh, God. I was like thinking like to my friend. I was like, please, I hope you didn't just send me like a ticket to jail. Yeah. So I, I pulled it out. I didn't even look at the cop. I just like pulled it out, like handed it out the window. Guy looked at it, read it. It had to have been the longest couple of seconds of my life. Sure. Handed it back. He goes, "Just get the right plates on this thing. You're going to get a ninety-eight dollar fine." And he let me go. Wow. No, no kidding. I, in Miracles fact, do happen. I, seriously, man. Like yeah. I was, I was convinced, like absolutely convinced mm-hmm. that I, by the time I got home, I kept looking out the window. I was like, <laughs> "Squad cars are going to pull up for sure," because like, there's no yeah. way. None of that. But he let me go. Like, i there was. That you was were, it.
0: See, Omaha, you were genuine, you were, you were authentic, you are naive, a uh, bit stupid, and he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He was like, well, I mean, I think it, it, was, it was pretty clear. He also tried to
1: see if I was driving drunk, you know, so he did oh, a little sure. flashlight yeah. testing. Um, enough of the story. Check that. I, I got out of it.
0: Good for you, man. Uh, well yeah. deserved. I, I've um, done both. I've driven a stolen car. My first car that was a stick was a stolen BMW. Uh, I drove it from Denver to San Jose to join a death metal band and... Ah uh, didn't get caught, thank goodness. But yep. um, um, my first day in Colorado, I had a motorcycle, um, and I put plates on it. Well, I put temp tags. I saw my neighbor had a, a license plate. I copied his numbers. And I was only 15. I'm an idiot. Put it on my motorcycle, which was spray paint and black because I was a had long hair and I was into death metal and type of one negative and all that stuff. Right. I Parked my car at Columbine or my my motorcycle at Columbine. It gets impounded. Principal calls me in the office. You're getting to take it. Your car's and your your motorcycle's impounded. You did a lot of wrong things. So I got caught. I know how bad it could have been, right? <laughs> but you you scathed away. Good for you. I did. And man. you got tacos. Great. Yeah, well burritos, actually. Burritos. Yeah. Late night burritos. Absolutely. Wow. That's a fun story,
1: Alex. I, I thought you would enjoy that. That's Absolutely. It's a, a fun one. So that's you know, that was that was pretty close to a major sacrifice for my passion to go help out and uh, you know, get to absorb the knowledge of these great men. And yes. uh, I was
0: Unbeknownst to me, I was willing to go to jail for it because uh, I was <laughs> yeah. I, I was pretty close. Oh, that's be- a great correlation. Willing to suffer the emotional stress and all that. Absolutely, tour. it's it probably that's one of my passion. favorite stories ever. Now,
1: but yeah, at the time, it's great story, it was not
0: very funny. <laughs> it is to us now. Us. Oh, that is. I'm like making notes of how many things you did wrong in that story. Like, oh, okay, good. Wow, okay. Wow. Wow, and wow, and you got off on all all of those.
1: Yeah. I I would. You know, maybe when you post it, you could say like Alex's recommendations for avoiding arrest when driving a stolen car.
0: <laughs> Have uh, uh, tags that are not expired. Have exactly. a correct bill of sale. Um, be nice. Look them in the eye. don't drive drunk. Correct.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. that, no matter what, you could be doing everything else right. If you're drunk, <laughs> you're
0: going. You're going. To <laughs> and I've yeah. done that. That sucks. Oh, this is great. Oh my God. We're having fun. I'm having fun. I hope you're having fun. I'm having a blast. Good, good man. Let's keep this going. Let's do it. All right. So uh, I've alluded to several times about how helpful and how great of a teacher and coach Alex is. In the show notes, I'm going to link to what I found so far. Um, his strong first articles. He has several. I'm thinking there's five here. Five. Get heavier. Uh, get a heavier military press with the one arm, one arm, one leg push up. Oh, I did not finish my SFB because of this. I need to read this. Yeah, you no, that no. will help you a lot. And actually, the original title for it was even better.
1: It was from body weight to heavyweight. Ooh, I like, that's that's
0: good copywriting, Alex. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I I love the SFB. Karen Smith is just a fantastic instructor and coach and very kind. And uh, Brian and Roxanne Myers were there, and a lot of people who I've seen later on, like the Strong Endurance, and the most recently the SFB or SFG and SFL. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great people in Strong First. Yeah, it's very high quality people. It, you know, um, headquarters I think is here in Denver now. Um, is it really? Yeah, the
1: ah, COO nice.
0: down the street. We get coffee. Amanda, she's a uh, she's awesome. Oh, you know, Amanda, very
1: cool, yeah. yeah, Amanda Kennedy. I don't know if she would remember me. We exchanged a few emails pertaining to my um,
0: recertification. I mm. they get like hundreds a day. So oh she, yeah, she's inundated. Uh, for sure she has an assistant now though which is great okay yeah yeah all good uh you have a really active instagram uh handle and youtube channel you have 2.7 thousand subscribers that's incredible that's, bad. that's really good that's pretty for, good that's <laughs> i'm impressed for reference um the U- the youtube channel for engagement although it has like three million people coming through it i only have like 1.7 thousand subscribers so it goes to show me that you're putting up content that people really appreciate and learn from. Well, thank you, Yeah, I try. It's really cool to see. You're on Twitter, um, awesome. Twitter, I'm not as active on um,
1: for sure. I, I almost never put up anything fitness related. Yeah. So if you're really interested in the fitness side of things, the uh, Instagram is almost exclusively fitness. I've lately, I've started putting up, I've put up a couple of videos of me doing uh, you know, some stuff that I'm working on with the electric base. Oh yeah, you got the bass right there. Cool, man. that's right. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, a patent jam. uh, You know, he and I did jam a couple times. The funny thing was is that I uh, I bought a car in twenty. It was July of 2018, uh, and in Omaha, and I drove it back up to Pennsylvania, and I Mm -hmm. I brought my my bass and amp from my parents' place. uh, And we only ever jammed like a couple times. Like that, we we had these grandiose plans to jam like on a weekly basis,
0: and it was like two three times. (laughs) It's hard to get adults together to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's funny. My, my cousins who grew up in Omaha, uh, they're both doctors. One's an engineer. One's an infectious disease, and they both play bass. One of them took us so far as he, he did the double bass with the London Symphony Orchestra. He's, wow. Yeah. And recently at Thanksgiving, I saw them, and I always keep an acoustic guitar in my truck, always, because I just never know when I'm going to pull out and write some music. And so um, we're down in Austin, and there's a bass on the wall, you know, as guitars go pulls it off the wall, and then you start right into Flea's rendition, you know, um, and, like, then he goes Yo-Yo Ma and all this stuff. I'm like, I put my guitar away and just got a beer. I'm like, private concert. This is great.
1: Yeah, exactly. You also don't want to follow a guy like that. You know? Can't.
0: Can't possibly. But, I was like, yeah. No. You're but over my but head.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, man. Like, that's the uh, – like, any musician who's really serious should aspire to that. Like, I want to be the guy that people hate to follow.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like, I'm just – Forget that I even have a guitar. I'm just here to get beers for people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. There's fun and passion. And then there's like truly masterful talent. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay. So the Instagram, awesome stuff, YouTube, fantastic, strong first. And of course you have a great, great website. Thank you. Yeah. Let's talk. I mean just the, the free guides in here is amazing. The drop down just blows, blows my mind. Um, I'm Gosh. in the process of getting it updated actually. There's just a few snags along the way
1: because it's, it's um I had it um set up to a, a buddy of mine and so to transfer it to a new um I'm I'm having somebody else who's designing it who's recommending that uh my my buddy was like yeah maybe you know we should move it to like like a different hosting thing and and so like in order to transfer mm-hmm. it yeah, there's like the whole process to doing it. Yeah. And so it's just a couple of extra steps. So very shortly, it's going to be even more concise, but you're still going to have all that same great information on it, but it's going to
0: be easier to access. And the drop-down menus will be a bit more manageable as well. You know, um, I, I have a lot of insight into that too. I, I've built uh, my wife's website for her mollas. She makes these beautiful models. uh, in gearment.com on WordPress, I cover all personal fitness on Squarespace, and then my online mountain fitness school through Teachable. So I've got a lot of experience at sucking at this and having mm. to fix the suck. So. Yeah. I'll be happy to help you out with this if you want a second or third set of eyes on it. Cool. But the content itself is just incredible. Um, so yeah, I'll link this in the show notes as well. Great. Well, tell us more about what, what are you working on right now? Um, and what do you want to share with the, the readers, what you're doing? Well,
1: in terms of like fitness. Yeah. For myself, <laughs> I'm always interested in getting stronger. Um, I am thinking, I've been doing my own programming for years. Um, not because I didn't want others to do it. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I remember in 2014, um, I uh, I wanted to have Jeff Newport write me a program to pass my level two. Mm-hmm. But I think he was very busy at the time and I, he wasn't able to get to the email. So I know he I wasn't ignoring because I, I know mm-hmm. Jeff pretty well. He's a great dude. Uh, but I remember thinking like, you know, time is running out. I got to do something. So from there, I was like, I'm, that's actually the, the uh, that plus a, a combination, a combination of doing that, plus following Scott Stevens advice for the snatch test, the snatch test article that I wrote, actually, the the program side of it is uh, uh, was from something that Scott told me. So it's really not even like, I took the double breathing from Dave Whitley, right? Mm-hmm. I I took the idea of the two minutes on one minute off two minutes on for the snatch test thing from uh, Scott, and then I, I changed it just slightly. But everything else was from from people who were they are before me and who are smarter. The only thing I can really take credit for uh, was having melded it into something that was going to be like, the sum of its parts was going to be greater than each of the individual parts. Well uh, said. Yeah. And uh, so, but one of the things that I, I kind of want to do is I want to get somebody to um, to do some programming for me so that I can remember what it's like to be a student at that again. Because nice. it, it's really important because... And, and in fact, I'll be uh, like 99% sure I'll be hiring Scott Stevens to do it because um, he is a coach through the amazing 12, uh, which is Paul McElroy's 12 uh, week body transformation thing. It's, it's oriented, not just for aesthetics, but aesthetics and strength. Uh, and it looks incredible. Um, and so there's another one coming up, I think in January. So I'm, I'll be interested to do that, but um so that's one thing, partially because you know when I was younger I wasn't actually that interested in putting on muscle, and now um, that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm not like old per se, but I'm. But my my I've uh, I've come to the realization that um, my if I put on some extra muscle, it's definitely going to help me with my higher end strength goals. Uh-huh. So that is uh, goal number one for the year in terms of fitness, and then from there I'll you know I'll continue forward. Um, in terms of my influence, I want to uh, continue to increase the size and quality of my email list. Mm-hmm. My email list is by far where I'm the most active. I send out an email every day um, high quality very that's where all my grade A top shelf material goes like so people should go get on your list. I would recommend it. I mean yeah. I think that uh, number one um, the other thing is is if you really want to get the benefit of the stuff that I teach, that's the only place that I sell programs courses um you know short-term challenges Mm one-on-one coaching group coaching i don't offer it on the website um you know it's easier for me to curate who uh who i work with because i really only want to work with people who are very serious yeah like anybody can end up on your website and truth be told anybody could end up on your email list but you also have a little bit more of a say Mm -hmm. in in, and who sticks around um so, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're interested, uh, listeners, that is where I would go. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, again, there's tons of great stuff on the, on the website. I've written articles for uh, Strong First. I've got another one in the works right now. I've uh, written things for Original Strength as well, that oh, I think nice. you get quite a bit out of. Um, and, uh, and so in terms of what I'm working on, yeah, it's basically uh, uh, improving my online business so that I can help more serious individuals who are also mm-hmm. very busy don't have all day to work out, don't want complicated, hard to follow programs, but want stuff that will work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a really big believer in the old school approaches to things and uh, and not just, let's say, well, first of all, kettlebells and calisthenics uh, and original strength, they're kind of like my main jams, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, principles and practices, I think that the old school weightlifters, old school bodybuilders, uh, old school powerlifters, uh, you know, people like the strong men, obviously, mm-hmm. um, these are principles that work under much more precarious conditions because we live, uh, as I alluded to earlier, you know, America uh, and I think the West in general is a very comfortable place to live. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's very easy. Like we have the luxury now of, you know, doing a fitness fad that doesn't work. You just kind of waste your money and waste your time, and, you know, and you're not really out anything because it's not like your your job or your livelihood depends on it. You you just, you know, sit for most of the day in mm-hmm. most people's cases. And so, um, but the way that things worked in the, in the olden days was that if something didn't work, it just fell by the wayside. So if things had to work in, in, like in bad conditions. Mm-hmm. So for example, if, uh, um, if a, a program didn't work or an exercise didn't really deliver results, it just didn't really get done. It just kind of got pushed to the side. So, um, and this was with people who had very physically difficult jobs. Like a good example is John Grimmick, who was a bodybuilder who's even stronger than he looked. I mean, and he looked really strong. We were talking about a guy who even in his 60s could squat 600 pounds, um, like easily. Um, There's a story of him working out with with, uh, I think a linebacker from the Philadelphia Eagles He's passed away. I think he passed away in the '90s, uh, and while he was 80 or 85, and uh, this Eagles player, I think was like 30, and so it was a Sunday. Didn't you know nobody really wanted to work out with him? Uh, but this Eagles player was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get in a workout." What are you going to do? He's like, "Oh, let's do squats. It's a light day today." So he loads up like 225 on the bar, squats it for like 30 reps, and then he puts up three. He puts 315 in the bar, squats it for like 20. And then he just keeps adding weight till he gets his, his, like his top sets of like 600 plus. And the Eagles players like, I thought you said we're going light today. I looked <laughs> at him confused. He's like, we are. Yeah. It was just no big deal for him. Um, and so, and this guy worked 12 hour shifts in a in a steel foundry. So we're talking about like 9 Hard man. Yeah. This dude was harder than coffin nails. Yeah. So, um, really like the old school approaches. And of course, you know, they're made appropriate for, for people who, you know, again, they don't necessarily have a ton of time to train, you know, maybe can't use the same amount of weight, but the principles and practices are still there. And that's what I aim to do because I want people to actually uh, make improvements. I, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel. Like I talked about with the, the snatch article, for example, I didn't make almost any of that up. You know, it was a mixture of my experience, meaning that I needed a snatch heavier. Uh, it was a mixture of Dave Whitley's recommendation for snatching better, which is the breathing, mm-hmm. and in terms of the programming, it was you know Scott Stevens' uh, recommendation for two minutes on, one minute off, two minutes on, um, and uh, and then from there, you know, there, there's some technical things that I learned along the way too that that I included, but but I didn't really invent them; they were more observational. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't have the time or the or the energy to look up, you know, how people did that sort of a thing. So converting it into something that helps people now is something I'm very passionate about. And thankfully, I, this passion, I don't have to suffer for as much because yeah. the suffering is foisted is upon people who actually do the program because mm-hmm. they're not easy, they're, but, they're, uh, but they're certainly simple uh, and, they're, and they're accessible. And that's, yeah. uh, that's the point of all of it. So,
0: Alex, I, I think you, more than anybody I've ever met, and I've met a lot of really great people, are in this really cool position to distill extremely helpful information from some of the world's best in these areas. And you're, and you go Dave, you got John and you have all well, strong first and Pavel and the looking at this guy, the John Grimmick, that's a beast of a man. Like yeah. you're taking all the best and putting it into your toolkit to offer uh, people. That's good. Good on you, man. That's great. Thank you. Super Thank you, cool Grimm. to see. Wow. Well, um, great programming. I'm going to put a link to that below uh, in the show notes. You've turned me on to a lot of cool stuff too. I've got, I've got like nine or eight. 10 browsers open right now of notes to, to follow up on this podcast for you. This is great. Cool. Yeah. You turned me on to some really cool stuff here. Um, God, there's so much more we can talk about. <laughs> this,
1: We've isn't... got time. I mean, I've got, uh, I've got the time. If you want to go and you're Let's do it. Yeah. Are interested, of course they going. are.
0: You're, you're a fascinating person. And um, all right. Got the fitness part taken care of. Uh, lived in Israel. How cool. We need to clarify some personal stuff about Alex though. Okay. All right. So on the last show, we had Pat Flynn. Energetic, fun, awesome, loving guy. And the show started off with, um, <laughs> we were riffing and the mics were going and Pat had mentioned, and even in his copyrighted his, his, uh, emails, he sends out about Alex Robitussin drinking. Oh, I know. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> <I hate laughs> so here is a here is your opportunity to clear the air on the Robitussin situation. He was about 90% correct um, in, in
1: what he said. So basically, I think it was either toward the end of 2018 or maybe early 2019. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the time, but um, I, I'm almost positive it was toward the beginning of 2019. But basically there were a couple of instances where um, I, I was coming down with a cold mm-hmm. and I wanted to try to like make the cold as mild and as short as I possibly could. So Pat liked to do, podcast and he would like to uh, get uh, me and our friend Sam Sichter involved Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember I went in there you know I had like my big black coat on black hat black uh, beanie and um, I asked Sam I was like do you have any cough medicine by any chance because I'm just feeling like I'm coming down with something man and I I, like I took a little dose earlier but you got to do it like a couple times a day He's like, yeah, I've got some here. So really, Sam was like the enabler. I don't know why he's not getting called yeah. it Robitussin. Sam, There's <laughs> the Chris Mayfield uh, over here, right? So Tony, uh, so anyway, I was pouring some some Robitussin, and then Pat probably still has the picture in his phone. We should see. <laughs> we should see if we can get him to post it. But um, but he took a picture of me as I was pouring it, and I think I looked over at him. Like I probably looked high AF <laughs> as I was pouring, and I was not high. I was just mm-hmm. kind of exhausted from sure you know, from uh, from having a cold. And so he started calling me Robotus and Alex, like <laughs> like I had some sort of a bad habit. And so it, be, it became like a routine thing in his emails, saying you know like oh, Robotus and Alex, this Robotus and right. Alex that. And, uh, and I thought it was funny, you know. I was never mm-hmm. I was never offended, but then he, he would say it like in podcasts. it would be like, "We got Robotus and Alex with us today," <laughs> um, and uh, and it, it keeps up. I, I remember reading; uh, I, it was maybe like a week or so ago. He posted, here's a video I did with Robotest and Alex like last year on this, that, or the other thing. But that's what it comes from. So gotcha. he was about 90% of the way there. I think, uh, I think you just left out some of the minor details, but it, that's
0: basically it. Well, sure. So we're going on paper and going on record. You don't advocate drinking Robotest recreationally. No. In fact, no. I, you know, it's funny. Like I'm probably as close to
1: a teetotaler as you can imagine. Um, oh yeah. I very rarely drink. Now, periodically, I will drink something, but, um, like if I'm out with friends, but like, for example, but even like the older I get, the less I drink. I have, um, I do have a bottle of whiskey, uh, in my cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I usually do that because actually I find this is something to put in the show notes. Alex's secret to preventing colds. Um, it's called a hot toddy. So it's a shot of whiskey, a little bit of lemon juice, uh, a bit of honey and hot water. Now, if you if you feel even the like slightest oncoming of a cold, I had a cold that started in September of this year, and I didn't think it was going to be a cold because it was September, um, but it was like, you know, back of my sinuses felt a little dry, mm-hmm. and I thought, this was the day after I did my snatch test too, and I was outside, so I thought, it's probably just dried out from all like the extra breathing that I was doing, so I wish I would have made a hot toddy because I ended up, you know, the cold for the next two weeks, um, and I don't believe I took Robitussin, just to be very clear i don't yep. think i did um then again who knows maybe i did <laughs> it's just so second nature to me but um but yeah if you start to feel like you're getting a cold coming on hot toddies work great so i keep one on hand uh, just to be safe now the mm-hmm. thing is if you do it in the middle of the cold it's not going to do anything it, like it's really preventative more than anything um but yeah i'm not much of a drinker I uh, rarely drink more than like two beers or two glasses of wine um, Either or, not both, and yeah, good um, call. would be about, yeah, <laughs> would be about my uh, my max that I could do more, um, and have in the past, but uh, I've always got stuff to do the next day, so for me, it's oh, like sure. in, suffering through the next day is like I just I have no taste for
0: it. Hey, good for you. I, I wish I was more like that. I, I'm pretty good with drinking. My, my favorite cocktail is vodka in a mason jar with lemon juice, and some that water. That sounds pretty good, that's great. I figured lemons, you know, help rehydrate water, dilutes it. Some you know, volume's still there, but yeah. then the booze is just straight up booze. There's no color to it. So no congeners, nothing to give you much of a hangover. Sure. It's cheap. works. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. Vodka about as cheap as it gets. And I do a lot of winter camping and beer will freeze and explode. Vodka doesn't. I believe.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. Actually. You know, I remember when I first discovered that I was living in Israel because I had a roommate who was like a season, and had two roommates who were like seasoned drinkers mm-hmm. and I have some stories from them that I can't repeat on air. <laughs> um, so maybe when we're not recording, yes. I'll tell you. But, but I remember they would put vodka in the freezer and I was like, I was like, you guys put this in like two days ago and it's like, it's not freezing. That's so mm-hmm. weird. So that should give you some idea of like how little I knew about, you know, the finer points of drinking. But yeah, if you, uh,
0: yeah, beer is not a good shot if you want to, if you want to go out, you know, no. camping. Bring some Maybe, vodka. Maybe whiskey. That, yeah, whiskey or vodka. Anything of high alcohol content. Um, I, I camp at least once a week, usually twice a week, year round, right? So, like this weekend, this Friday will be the winter solstice, shortest day of the year. I love snow, I love mountains, my dogs are super seasoned with this. So yeah, I always just put vodka, some lemon juice in there, and it doesn't freeze. Um, doesn't go bad. <laughs> it's fine. <vodka. It's> great. <laughs> yeah. Very, very um efficient. So Absolutely. Vodka. Yeah, exactly. Um Gosh, this is good stuff. Well, speaking of uh, what you do day to day, what are some daily habits and routines you have in place? Well, I'm glad you asked that because uh, in my opinion,
1: the, if you win the morning, you can win the day. And so you need to have a routine that is going to set you up for that. And mine has changed over the years. I, in 2016, um, I, I kind of figured out that if I was going to be more successful, I was going to need to have a better routine. Mm -hmm. So I bought some routine. I don't remember the guy who sold it actually, but it ended up being my routine for a good couple of years. And it was basically like five minutes of something physical. And for me, it would just be like deep breathing, which is Mm -hmm. an idea I got from Jeff Newport. Five minutes of, uh, it was like basically body, mind and spirit. So body, mind would be, um, I think I would would go through um, my... I'm kind of drawing a blank of what I did back then, but it was like I I would um, go. I think I would I would go through my goals, and actually, yeah, from Think and Grow Rich, there's a recommendation in there to write down, you know, what you intend to achieve by what date, you know, to what extent. So I would I would repeat that out loud to myself, um, and then for spirit, I would. I remember he was really into Zig Ziglar at the time. He has oh, really he's really, a lot great. of good ones. Yeah, he's one. Most motivational speakers, I think, are suspect because it's like motivation. By itself, if you change it to good mood, that's basically what motivation is, and I think that uh, a lot of people do that rely on that to kind of get through their day as opposed to discipline. but Zig was good because he would he would meld motivation with discipline because mm-hmm. he he for him he you know he would say, for example, positive thinking uh, you know can't make me do x, y, and z, but it can help me do what I can do you know better, more efficiently what have you so it was very realistic and I really liked it. And so I would, I would listen to, you know, a portion of one of his talks, take some notes, you know, I would go over those things. Ah, and another thing I would do is I would, I would say affirmations. There are some very big people who recommend affirmations. One of whom is Dan Pena, the the trillion dollar man. He's a guy who's a success coach, um, very foul mouthed. So if you, if you were concerned about that sort of thing, <laughs> definitely don't listen to him. But, um, but he made like, half a billion dollars in the oil in the oil business years back very smart successful dude um, he's big on them I don't really do them anymore um, but uh, and it doesn't seem to have had any sort of negative effect mm-hmm. but uh, but now what I do for my morning routine is so I wake up I do five minutes of uh, deep breathing mm-hmm. while I'm listening to a podcast and uh, so the podcast that I usually listen to is the ben podcast. If you were in any way interested in email marketing, um, I highly recommend Ben Settle. He's uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best there is. Um, he's uh, got a very dry sense of humor, uh, really listenable podcast, a lot of great stuff in there. Um, but otherwise, listening to something that I think is in line with what your goals are is very important, mm-hmm. um, particularly if it's by somebody that you really uh, that you really admire, uh, that you really you know, want to emulate, then um, i what i 've started doing recently is some visualization, and I got this idea from uh well there's a great probably the best book ever written on the topic of mindset uh and using it to your advantage is called psychocybernetics by guy by a guy named Maxwell maltz um, He was a plastic surgeon in uh and I think the forties fifties and sixties and one of the things that he noticed was that and he was a very good plastic surgeon he noticed that people would come in with a scar or some sort of like a physical deformity on their face that they would want fixed. And usually within about three weeks, this person displayed like an almost like unbelievable transformation in their, in their personality, in their, in the way that they dealt with other people. It was like they were a brand new person. And so for him, it was like, he was almost like he was giving them a new personality when he did the surgery on them, but there were other people he would fix you know, let's say a nose that was a little too big or, you know, a cleft lip or scar on their face. And they were exactly the same. And even if they saw that the scar was gone, their nose was different, they looked mm-hmm. different, they remained the same person. And so he quickly realized, or eventually he realized that the, um, uh, that the knife wasn't what was, what was doing the job. It was the person's self-image. And for some people like you know it coincided basically like they they were able to make that leap other people it didn't work at all um and and so what he started to do is you know people would sometimes come in with some sort of a you know an issue that they wanted to have fixed and he wouldn't do surgery on them he would do not always you know he'd still do the surgeries um when necessary but but sometimes they'd be like oh my you know my ears are too big or you know my lip looks funny or whatever and so he would coach them into how to have a better self-image. And so he wrote this book called Psycho-Cybernetics, which to this day, I, I think it's sold 30 million copies. Um, I think it has the worst title ever. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> cause it sounds like like a Scientology book. It is not Scientology book, I promise. It has nothing to do with it. Um, but I remember reading it on a tram in Prague once and uh, some British tourists were like kind of giggling at me. I think they thought I was reading like Dianetics or something. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, which I have also not read, but, uh, psycho cybernetics is great. And, uh, the current president of the psycho cybernetics foundation is none other than the legendary Matt Fury. And, uh, if you don't know who Matt Fury is, he I wrote, don't. okay. If you know the, um, if you ever read any of martial arts magazines, like black belt magazine, oh, he, used yeah. to, he used to have these ads in there, like about how to like build your strength with body weight only. And, uh, he was a, He's a legendary wrestler. He trained under Dan Gable, who is—if you've heard the saying, "If it's important, do it every day. If it's not, don't do it at all." I mm-hmm. was Dan Gable, like one of the winningest wrestlers uh, in America, and one of the best wrestling coaches, maybe in history. Was uh, he was one of uh, Matt Fury's coaches, and Matt went on to win the—I think it was the NCAA wrestling title um, in his weight class in, in the mid '80s. So he was the best wrestler in the U.S. at one point. Um, he's wow. a world champion in Kung Fu. Uh, in 1997, he won the World Kung Fu Championships. He went to China and won them in the 90-kilogram uh, uh, weight category. Wow. He, uh, he's read, read a, uh, written a ton of books on uh, uh, all sorts of topics. But the most germane to this conversation would be he wrote Combat Conditioning, yep. which is about the bodyweight exercises that he used to do as a wrestler um he 's written all sorts of stuff, and he did a workshop in Tampa, Florida on psychocybernetics and uh, and I went to it in um, uh, it was August of this year and it was phenomenal and one of the things he talked about is he went even deeper into what the book talks about like how to actually successfully visualize things because a lot of people actually have a difficult time doing it um, or have a difficult i mean they can remember things that happened to them in the past mm-hmm. um, in my experience has been people know they can visualize negative outcomes of things that have never happened, but visualizing positive things is very difficult to do. So one of the things that I do is I made a list of some of the successes that I'm most proud of from the time I was a little kid until now. And I, I relive them every morning in my memory. So I go through this, this uh, uh, it's called, basically called getting that winning feeling. So it's like every time, you know, you kind of get to revisit what it was like to succeed Um, with these things. And I just kind of go one right after the other. Sometimes I go, you know, from little kid to now, sometimes I go reverse, sometimes I kind of skip around a bit. But even just five minutes of that a day has been absolutely transformative for me. Um, And then I'll also uh, visualize, I haven't been as good about this, but I'll visualize what I want to accomplish for the day, or maybe for the year, or for the next few months, or what have you. Um, That part, again, is a little harder. So imagining thing, positive things that have not yet happened, going mm-hmm. can take a little more work, I think, but, um, but that's, an, that's what I do every day. Um, uh, those three things. So there's well, those two things. So the breathing and the visualization, um, is, uh, I would say breathing while listening to something positive or something productive is huge. And then, um, uh, the visualization mm-hmm. is, is critical uh, to oh, me. That's,
0: that's an everyday thing. I love this. I mean, I, I've been on my edge, in my seat the whole time. So I wanted to add into this. I loved hearing that. Um, I got my five minute journal right here. Great, which, Yeah. It helps me get to a lot of other things you mentioned. I am not familiar with Jeff's breathing techniques yet, but I'm going to look into that. Cause I, I like to do, um, if I'm not too lazy, I'll, I'll wake up a little bit earlier. Heart rate mantra strap, get heart rate variability mantra out, breathe and get things calm. Mm-hmm. That parasympathetic feeling good. Go through the notes. And like you said, visualization, this I'm glad you brought that up. Cause this is something that's hard for me to um, put into words. I will often wake up, half an hour before I need to, so say 3.30 or 4 a.m. instead of 4.30. Mm-hmm. And I, I will go through my head about all the amazing things that have happened. Plenty of bad things have happened too, and I'm very vulnerable and open about those kinds of things too because there's like the, the light and the darkness and the give and the take, and it's all part of the process, right? Mm-hmm. not all easy. But for example, like um, a, a positive thing was like, gosh, it'd be really great to work with Eric Frohart on an article that would help people in the mountains. And then, you know, it happens because you put your passion and not too much suffering, but a lot of passion towards it, right? You visualize it so much. So in those early morning hours, I'll lay there with my wife and my dogs next to me. They're sleeping soundly, snoring away. And I'll visualize like what that would feel like, like what, like how fulfilled would I feel to present that to the world in a helpful way? And then it manifests and it takes work. It doesn't just show up like that, but it course, takes work. Yeah. And then when it, when it happens, you're like, whoa. And then the next opportunity pops up. For example, not to stick only a strong first world, but Pavel emailed me back in October of last year. He said in his great Russian accent, I'm reading it in his Russian accent. Sean, please advise how to say your last name. <laughs> I was like Sean, please <laughs> advise how to say your last name. Yes, yeah, so i like I was like, Sewell, like cool, but you can't say that. Like Sewell, like school, you know? Uh-huh. And then uh, later on the book Quick and the Dead comes out, and there's there's Matthew Flaherty above me, who's a friend now. There's my little quirk from that article. And then the audiobook, there's Pavel saying my name, Sean Sewell, the Colorado mountain man. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, if I could change my phone ringtone to that, I would, you know. Like, amazing. You probably could do that. I think I will right now to the show do that. Because like you said, it's just cool for, to hear somebody like that respect as much as you talk about visualization and that kind of stuff. It sounds mm-hmm. kind of hokey pokey to some people, but until they freaking do it, they're missing out.
1: You know, and I think, well, I'll tell you this. I think a lot of people think that it sounds hokey because they're used to hearing it given in a hokey context because there are um, mm-hmm. programs out there that I think are a little bit uh, woo-woo that don't really focus on the work that you have to put in. So right. the idea, for example, behind um, the, uh, behind psycho-cybernetics, because what you were describing is basically something that um that uh, Maxwell Maltz describes, he says there's basically two types of mechanisms. There's a one where it's like, you know where the object is that you're mm-hmm. looking for, right? So you just go directly to it. And then there's the other one where you know what it is, but you don't know how to get there. And so you figure out the path along the way. Mm-hmm. So for things like that, you know, like I want to work on an article with, with Eric Frohart, for example, or I want to do X, Y, and Z. You, the goal, you do not want to try to visualize the path. What mm-hmm. you want to visualize is the end point and you will figure out the path along the way. But the thing is, you have to put in the work. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the more you think about it, the more your brain really can't tell the difference between an imagined experience and a lived experience. And so that's why it's so important to have these, these you know, visualizations. I mean, uh, if you've ever this happens to me all the time, like I'm a very silly dude. So sometimes I'll just think of something really funny and I'll just, you know, be at my place by myself and I'll just start laughing because I thought of something that is really funny. But mm-hmm. Nobody said it. It didn't happen, right? It was all in my head. But, but mm-hmm. the physical response is that I actually will, will laugh. I've always thought, you know, wh- whoever the FBI agent is who's assigned to spy on me through my <laughs> iPhone probably thinks I'm crazy because <laughs> there's nothing going on and I just burst into laughter, right? Uh, I but love the same that. thing is I, I've noticed this. I'm sure this has happened to other people. You know, you're kind of walking and maybe you're daydreaming. Mm-hmm. And then you maybe remembering something that happened to you, you know, it could be something fell off a shelf or, or something like that. And you'll start to react like mm-hmm. your, your body will physically move. Like I, I, I do recall very distinctly a number of years ago, walking out of a pharmacy, I don't remember what it was I was thinking, but I imagined that there was something coming toward me. So I started moving out of the way, but there was nothing, there was nothing there, but that's the power of, of your mind is that mm-hmm. when you fixate on something, the more real that it feels, so you, it doesn't seem like it's something that's theoretical. It seems like it's an inevitable destination in the future.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: similar to like, I'm going to drive from point A to point B. Oh, here's a roadblock. I'm just going to drive around it. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm going to, oh, here's another roadblock. I'm going to drive around that. Here's a detour. I'm going to go there. And now I'm at my destination. And so that's how this visualization stuff works. You know, the key is that you've got to stick with it for a long period of time. And you have to have a bit of faith that it's actually mm-hmm. going to work and it will work. But the, uh, but the big takeaway has got to be, that if you are, um, if you're, if you're not going to put in the work to do it, visualizing isn't going to make any difference. It's got to be something that it's got to be like an obsession, like something that you really want to accomplish. I like that word.
0: Obsession gets a bad rap. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's, it's, everybody who's successful is obsessed. So, oh, oh, you're obsessed with, you know, uh, being fit, or you're obsessed with x, y, and z. It's like, Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's far more better than you know being obsessed with like what you're gonna do on the weekend to get away from the you know the job you hate or oh
0: right or yeah. what have you.
1: Everybody has an obsession. They just they may not call it that.
0: Yeah. Well, to your point too, but the visualization. I know a lot of people have vision boards. We make a new vision board every every few months, right? And mm-hmm. on the vision board, it's a combination. My wife does a great job. Of this a combination of of health, wellness, fitness, woman empowered, dogs, mountains, snow. And then I have, uh, I'll put brands on there that I want to work with. Patagonia, North Face, mm-hmm. uh, anything. Uh, so started doing that a few years ago. And then one day, I, it's right at the end of our bed. I, I get up and I look at the board. and I'm like, honey, everything on the board's happened. And she's like, what? And we got into tears in our eyes. And we realized everything, like I work directly with North Face and Patagonia now. And now the, the branding gearment went from two people to 23 people. And it, you're right. You put in the work in that these things, like you don't know how you're going to get there, but you know what you want to experience, how you want it to feel, and how you want to convey it to others. Yeah. That it, you put in the work, you deal with failure every day, rejection. You're good at that from the cut go, right? Your rejection yeah. happens. You just, you just brush it off, right? It sucks. Mm-hmm. We all fa- just fail forward and you know, get to that goal and it feels so good.
1: Absolutely. I think it's like, I mean, this
0: is like the, 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 the pinnacle of the conversation. Everything's been amazing so far, but this is really cool, heady stuff. Big time. And
1: I, I really think that this is the next stage um, in the world of like fitness and self-development, you know, mm-hmm. everything old is new again. So this is not, yeah. brand <laughs> stuff, you know, like this is stuff that people have been talking about for ages, but, um, but it's so incredibly important. And, you know, like the best athletes in the world, I think do this sort of a thing instinctively mm-hmm. uh, top yeah. businessmen. businessmen. Uh, I remember hearing something, I think, I think the guy's name is Patrick bet David or something like that. Talked about a vision board as well. Mm-hmm. I, I unfortunately do not have a vision board yet. I should probably do that. Um, but but and for the, that exact reason, I think it's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a vision is, there's, there's a, a quote from, I'm trying to think of the book of the Bible. I don't remember. Solomon says, this might be in the book of uh, Kings or second Kings, my people perish for lack of vision. It's that, or maybe it's proverbs, but but that's exactly what happens. If you yeah. if you are a leader and you don't have a vision, you can't lead other people because they're not going to care as much as you do. Like mm-hmm. they're just not. Like, but the more obsessed you are, the more the more they're going to care. It's just gonna it's just going to pull them up, or it's going to reject them, and other people
0: are going to you know fill their place. And that does happen. I'm glad you brought that up. At, at, at being a leader, I, I love doing it. I'm not good at managing for for crap. I can't manage. But I can lead, right? And so people who they get behind it and they get behind it in a fanatical way or they don't and they shed and you bring on other people who are. Absolutely. Great. Everybody wins.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I think a lot of times two people – and it's it's hard to keep this in mind. I think the more it happens, the easier it is to remember. But you know, so often we have this this mistaken idea that if things – you know, like you would never say, uh, you know, if I like if I leave my house and I can't drive 60 miles an hour the whole way there and I run into any stop signs or stoplights, I'm just going to quit because that sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah. But we do that exact thing when we have a, like a, a destination in mind or an accomplishment. We, we see these, these stoplights or stop signs or, you know, detours as being like like roadblocks or mm-hmm. walls in the way. And it's just not the case. And a lot of, a, a part of that, you know, like it's analogous to the idea of like, sometimes you're going to have to get rid of people and you're going to have to replace mm-hmm. them with better people. Um, you know, to some degree, you're going to have to, you're going to have to decide who, who gets to come with and who doesn't. And it's yeah. not even anything personal,
0: you know, it's not, it's, like, it's it's a tough call. I I have had to had that talk with a lot of friends I've had for like 20 plus years, just because, you know, the paths are going a little bit differently and you don't, Yeah. to your point, you don't have, you don't owe them and they don't owe you anything to stay that because you're just going to be miserable let them yeah. do their thing and let you do let flourish yourself as well exactly it's a tough, think, tough conversation to have but it's necessary it's a yeah
1: i mean i'm fortunate i haven't had the had the i have not had to have that conversation good uh, recently but sometimes it is important to just you have to like cut ties i mean the other thing you could do there's a guy paul Hartunian, who's a publicity expert who um said that i think one of the things that he would do i read an interview with him and he said like he would do it every year he would he would cut ties with people or mm-hmm. one of the ways he would do it is i mean sometimes he had to like really sever the ties other times he would just stop reaching out to them and if they didn't reach out to him then they just he let it flounder you know like if the person if the person wants to reach back maybe it's worth keeping that person around because maybe they're actually interested but if they're not going to reach back you just let them go and mm-hmm. i think that the older you get you know the more you have to realize that uh if you're if you're Loyalty, if you're loyal to a fault, that's a real problem because mm-hmm. it ends up getting misapplied. So, you know, you want to be loyal to the people who work for you, but you don't want it to be such that um, you you are now unable to uh, to move forward because you're mm-hmm. afraid to get rid of them. Yep. And I think that if you frame things early enough, like, you know, why you're here, why I'm here, why we're doing this, provided that you keep doing this, you'll, you know, you'll still be here. But, you know, if the time comes that, you know, you need to seek employment elsewhere, or you know different friends elsewhere it's nothing personal it's just like i have to do this right you know, this this is my uh, this is my vision this is my mission people respect people with a mission if you don't have a mission and you're just floating along in life complacent yeah you were <laughs> like you're probably headed for some for some rocky waters pretty quick
0: yeah uh, you know, that's a good point and, and I've been fortunate because I've been, I've been through a lot of unique life experiences probably a few decades before most people. I've, I've lost all my family, been caretaker during terminal cancers and heart attacks and all this stuff. And it, it, on paper, looks horrible. But personally, what I've gained from it is um, appreciation for life, appreciation for opportunities, appreciation for every moment. And it, it, it gives you that character and resolve to be resilient. And yeah. like you said, you see a stop sign or, or a red light. And some people are like, oh, game over, bro. That's it. That's my path is done. Like, that's temporary. You can go around it. You can build tools to go around it. Yeah. And life will go on. There's a whole lot of life happening around you. And to, about the personal point, there's a really good book my uncle gave me called uh, The Four Agreements. you probably heard of it. What's it called The Four Agreements? Yeah, Four Agreements. Uh, basically, the first one is don't take it personal. So, say somebody is being a little grumpy to you. It's easy to be like, oh, that guy's a, a butthead towards me. Maybe mm-hmm. he's having a real bad day. <laughs> Something's yeah. going on. Don't take it personal, right? And the other three are basically speak with a golden tongue. You know, don't talk crap. Um, and the other two are probably really important. I forgot them, but I like to not take it personal part. The first half is pretty good so far. It's got solid first half there. And yeah, the don't take it personal
1: thing. I'm pretty I'm pretty good about that half the time. The other half the time, I think I do take things a little personally. Even mm-hmm. when you do realize, like you know, this person did this to me because they have problems. Yes. It still feels hard not to be like, you know, I want to tell that person off. But if you agree to speak with the golden tongue, you're probably not going to be able to do that. So you have to make both of those at the same time. Yeah.
0: Off. And these are theories too. <laughs> they don't <laughs> right. work 100% yeah. of the time, right? Like like you on the, I have a lot of interaction on YouTube daily. Um, and I, I help run a, a really big uh, Facebook group, 5,000 people for backcountry skiing and other things are very public facing, right? And so I get a lot of, mostly good comments, which is always feels good to hear good things about what you're doing and helping. But then you also get some people who don't have the nicest comments. And I like to try and reframe them like, all right, they're not actually in the arena with me and the people doing this work. So I kind of, in my head, discredit their, their work, like you're in the cheap seats, right? You're offering armchair knowledge and that's to me almost worthless. So just save your voice for somebody else who cares.
1: Exactly. You know, it's funny. You should say that too, because, uh, Somebody that um, some that I associate with primarily through Instagram, we've had a few uh, Skype chats too. Um, he uh, has just started up a new coffee gig called Huboon Coffee, and it is awesome stuff. I mean, like really high quality, like really, really tasty. I mean, basically there's like like 90 percent of coffee out there is like crap. OK,. yeah. And then there's like five percent is like undrinkable, and then there's like five percent is like like exquisite. So he's working on the five percent exquisite part, and mm-hmm. it's it's really good. But he sent me something yesterday. He posted, that, and it's his personal Instagram, so he can you can post what he wants. It was a scantily clad woman, right? Mm-hmm. So some gal who went out who he went out on a date with, uh, messaged him, and first of all, like nothing even happened on the date. Like I'll just leave it at that. You know, mm-hmm. it was just kind of like kind of like a dud of a date. Um, and he, but she sent him this thing saying, "Hey, you know, I think you got such a great thing going with your fitness stuff and your and your hoo boon coffee. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to turn customers away if you're posting stuff like this. And I didn't know who it was at first. So I said, well, is this, a, is this a customer who's saying this? Somebody who's bought something from you? It's like, no, it's a gal I went on one bad date with. I was like, then forget about her. Who cares what she thinks? Like, you know, people who are on the sidelines are always the ones who are shouting to the people who are on the field. So like, sometimes, like, I think constructive criticism, you have to take to heart because if it's going to make your product or your service better mm-hmm. and it's a user telling you then listen but if it's just somebody who's not even bought it and is like yeah. you know giving you the yeah so and he's like yeah i'm not even going to respond you know yeah i thought well that's good you shouldn't respond because it makes zero sense yeah to, engage you know, to, a person like entertain that such
0: a dumb thing right the, the internet's full of trolls i i'll get comments on my youtube reviews oh you you know you have the tag still attached to something i'm like because I'm in the middle of the mountains and I don't even know what this thing's called. There's no cell phone service. So I'm looking at the tag. So I know what it's called. Yeah. And know, like, I'm like, could you see what we're, we're in a blizzard? It's 8, 10 degrees. Like it's being used in the right situation. Dude. I had one that that popped up a few days ago and you know,
1: periodically like, uh, they're actually, I mentioned Ben settle earlier. He's got a whole book called copy troll, which is basically how to use trolls to increase your sales. Like people <laughs> leave a bad comment or a bad yeah. review. Like, like here's how to use that to make even more money. I don't have it, but I've heard. I it's need great. to look into that.
0: A person, yeah, I would. I wrote a book on splitboarding. that's on Amazon, and it's not the best book. It's basically an ebook. Um, just, but it's the only book in the world on splitboarding because yeah. that's a splitboard right there. And people are like, yeah. what is it? How does that work? I'm like, I get asked this so many times today. I'm like, oh, let's write the freaking book. Just there, and yeah. um, person got it in Germany or somewhere Austria. He's like, this is a horrible book. Doesn't you know, blah blah blah. I'm like, so I used it as marketing. I'm like one bad review. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. does not like the mountains or snow or dogs or split boards. Yeah. You know, you could very easily say something like, Hey, if you're like, you know,
1: Franz in Austria, you'd better stick with yodeling because this book is not for people <laughs> who don't want to actually go out and apply what it really like. It yeah, uses- you- you- and like, just, you know, I had, well, yeah. So that would be an example. Again, I don't have the book. He goes into it like great detail on what you can I'm do. I'm looking into this. But I had a I had a comment on on a YouTube channel. One of my first videos that I'm really proud of. I was I did uh, 20 pistols per leg. This was like 2011, you know, when I was still pretty scrawny. Yeah. So somebody wrote a comment, and I I mean, I don't think he was trying even trying to be rude, but like you know, subconsciously he's trying to explain away my success by saying, "Oh, well, you know, he you notice he's in a garage and (laughs) the floor often slopes downwards, so he doesn't have like the balance, you know, difficulty." I was like. Okay, first of all, you've never been in that garage. I have. There's no slope, and yeah. it certainly didn't help me with the balance. Like no, like, so so I wrote something back. It was like, it, I mean, if you read it, I sound like I was a little pissed, and I was. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the main thing is, I just wanted to eviscerate this guy for like saying something so stupid yeah and
0: uh and it's still up
1: i, I don't if, if as long as he has not erased his comment his comment plus mine that sometimes still, happens
0: you're like oh i had the most witty comeback and then they erased theirs because
1: uh, know, yeah exactly i don't think he did because he never even responded so I, he for all i know he never saw my response mm-hmm. but uh but for people who want to see you know how i how i shredded the guy <laughs> you're more than welcome to. But i <laughs> I'm think gonna give that a read yeah give it a shot but yeah i mean otherwise i usually just troll them back like i had i had something i, pre- I posted a video of me doing some jerks and some gal was like that's pretty good for a beginner somebody who didn't even have any videos on instagram like that's pretty good for a beginner but you should check out so-and-so and i was like your troll comment's pretty good for a beginner but you should check out so-and-so for like really good. <laughs> that's uh-huh. good yeah so you gotta have fun with it you know because the you more you put yourself out there the like the, the more critics you're gonna find so you, you, you just gotta you know
0: you gotta have a blast with it you do oh that's so fun to hear from you and it's true. The more you put yourself out there, the more you can help people. Great. The more Absolutely. you're going to attract people who have issues. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah.
1: And and these people with issues typically don't have uh achievements of their own. They don't have no. Like, there's nobody who did 21 pistols per leg is going to be like that's pretty good, but you know it's not <laughs> 21 pistols. <laughs> oh, like, exactly. People like that don't leave comments that are negative. They're like, hey, way to go, you know, yeah. or they just don't say anything.
0: And that's so, a good characteristic, I think. Most people I've met who are who are like us who have gone through. Um, strong first and stuff. They're strong people and they use that strength to bring people up. Exactly. You know, that's that's exactly. what what's yeah. there for. Not to put people down. I'm reading through some of this Maxwell Maltz quotes and there's a lot of good ones. If you make friends with yourself, you'll never be alone. That's good. It Come is good. On. Yeah. Uh, you make mistakes. Mistakes don't make you. That's this probably is, one of the better ones. Yeah. So many that. people think about, and I have known people like this, like
1: people will, will screw up and they'll be like, like, I am this screw up, right? Mm, but like, yeah. or, or they will, like, he gives a great example of somebody who was a, stut- uh, somebody who stuttered. And he said his, he said, or people who stutter. And they said that like, the, the kids who get over their stuttering, I believe I could be maybe misquoting this slightly. But I think what he said was that the kids who overcome their stuttering, as they get older, their parents will say, he stutters, or he has a stutter. But the kids who struggle with it for longer. Their parents say he is a stutterer, or she is a stutterer. Oh, like owning that bad thing. There, yeah, you are that thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, I think that that's uh, like it really. It's hard to internalize. You have to kind of experience it. You mm-hmm. know, like you have to be willing to give yourself another chance. But I mean, so often that's exactly the case. Like these, like people will will tell themselves like, "I'm this, I'm that, I'm mm-hmm. you know whatever." The reality is is like, and you just need to like. Like, it's okay to make mistakes, you know. Give oh, for yourself sure. a break. And
0: no, I, I'm gonna go on a big limb here. Like, and I haven't mentioned this on any podcast yet, but I make a lot of mistakes, uh, big ones. Like, um, when I was in my early 20s and late teens, I was a drug addict, you know. And that was a major mistake. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I do drink vodka, but, you know, I, I was to a point where uh, I was injecting cocaine and methamphetamines into my arms and smoking crack. That's yeah. bad, right? So, yeah. make mistakes, right? Um, my siblings battled depression and schizophrenia my brother was mentally disabled and you know they battled those things those are mistakes which were you know given to them but sure. yeah everybody makes mistakes of all levels right but you can you can overcome them you can become a better person don't let them own you. yeah yeah so you cool. know,
1: the other thing too is that there's no age at which you can't do it like um you know a great example that i like to give is that uh rabbi akiva is one of he's considered one of the greatest jewish sages of all time he was illiterate up until the age of forty, and this was back like close to two thousand years ago, and back then forty was pretty old, man. Yeah. Like you didn't necessarily sure. have all that much time left. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day, and he used to, uh, he used to kind of belittle people who were religious. Uh, and uh, one day he saw, uh, a he saw like a uh, a drip of like water on a rock, and there was a big indent in the rock. And he asked like, a passerby, like, how is that possible that this, these drops of water put this indentation in this rock? And he said, well, don't you know it's written in Scripture? It's in the book of Job, uh, that given enough time, water will bore its way through rock. And he thought, you know, if Scripture, uh, if water, which is soft, can bore its way through rock, which is hard, how much more of an impact can Scripture, which is hard, have on my heart, which is soft? So at 40, he decided to learn how to read and write mm-hmm. uh, and he, he started to study. And by the end of his life, I mean, even today, he's he's one of the most like celebrated sages of uh, of, of all of Jewish history. Like people still read about him and study him, study what he taught. Um, you know, same goes with uh, Colonel Sanders, the guy who was retired. He was in his mid-60s, got his first um, check from the government for his basic daily living expenses. And he was getting ready to kill himself. He's like, my whole life has been a waste. And then he, he thought before he did it, like, what's one thing I can do like, better than anybody else? And he had a great fried chicken recipe that people loved. So he started selling it door to door. And he died in his, mid, in his late 80s as a billionaire. Wow. <laughs> so, That's an
0: incredible story.
1: Yeah. And, and so you know a lot of times people count themselves out. It's like, man, if you're 40 years old and things have sucked up to this point, you know, there could be another forty years. There could be another sixty years. Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason that the next ones have to be anything like what the first ones were. So, all those mistakes—you're not those mistakes. Those were things that you did. You know, who you are, you can use that as as your way of shifting things slowly but surely. It's not going to happen overnight, but you can definitely shift into into better waters. It's just a matter of. Yeah, but you have to have a vision, and you have to be able to visualize it. Yes, and, and you got to have faith when you're doing it that the things are going to work, and give yourself credit
0: for the little the little things that you do, right? Always little victories. Oh my gosh, (laughs) Alex, we need to start doing this more often. We have a lot to talk about. (laughs) This is extremely helpful. I mean, I'm loving every moment of this. Um, The readers, I'm sure I, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have 15 tabs open for show notes. Great. You're well, just... don't crash your browser, man. Gonna... <laughs> I'm going to take a screenshot right now. I was going to say,
1: I, I've done that a couple of times where I'm like, I, n- I need to know all these things. So I need to I need to take a quick pick with my phone to make sure it doesn't. Oh, for sure. And I also
0: have them handwritten down here too. Oh my... um, I don't want to cut this off, but it's over an hour and a half. We could talk about this for like, it seems forever. Sure, so sure. Let's, let's table another discussion in January um, and catch up where this conversation is going. I'd love to. Yeah, I would love to as well you give me a lot of homework to do as well. I'm going to get some books uh, while I'm camping this weekend. And you're going to be celebrating Hanukkah starting Sunday, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Or- so I think uh, it might be a little bit later. I th- it changes every year because the Jewish calendar is um, a mixture of lunar and solar. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's different from the Gregorian calendar, which is 365 and a quarter days. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish calendar is a little bit shorter. And then like every seven years, they add a leap month. Meaning, there's a whole extra month tossed that's in. That's how they do. Okay, I didn't know it's, that. So it's basically like there's a like the old school typewriters, right? Like you type, 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 and then you push it back. So that's what they do, so that it, it keeps everything more or less in the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas the Islamic calendar is purely lunar, so I think every like 37 years or something like that, Ramadan will have happened in every season, because oh, wow. of the way that it the way that it goes, mm-hmm. it's just much shorter, and there's no, um, there's nothing that will put you know push it back into like just just summertime for example so sometimes it'll be in the winter sometimes it's in the spring sometimes it's fall right um but yeah so i have to double check i thought it was the 22nd so yeah i think it's the 22nd or the 23rd that it begins yeah you're right double check.
0: yeah the 22nd is uh, at least here in denver it's uh it's sunday i don't know if it starts okay. whatever. yeah it's
1: sundown yeah. it probably is when it begins yeah
0: sweet uh, but yeah we got that coming up Excellent. I'm well, doing something. say,
1: yeah, one last thing that I was going to say because we mentioned my email list earlier. forgot how to mention how you can get on. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody's interested, I've got uh, an eight week kettlebell and bodyweight challenge. It's just two, and I'll, I can send you the link. So, yeah. Sean will include the link in the show notes. It's uh, two bodyweight exercises um, and two kettlebell exercises alternated uh, on a daily basis, five days a week. 20 minutes per workout um I, there's a guy who did it uh he's a young father he's uh, about 40 when he did it he told me that in the eight weeks he went from being able to do one pull-up with an extra 12 kilos or about 25 pounds hanging mm-hmm. off of him to being able to do a pull-up with t- uh 24 kilos or 53 pounds hanging off him and so, he didn't and pull-ups are, are one of the bodyweight exercises and he didn't do them with any weight. So he wasn't doing weighted pull-ups. He was just doing pull-ups, you know, as it's prescribed in the program. Mm-hmm. And he doubled his pull-up strength in the course of eight weeks. So That's incredible. If you're a busy person uh, and you need an no OBS uh, workout or program, the eight-week program is, is, and it's free. You just get it, download it, put you on my daily email list. And you can always, you know, if you think that I'm not funny or don't have any good wit or you don't like my sense of humor or whatever, you can always unsubscribe. But um, but that would be the way to get on for anybody who's interested.
0: That's awesome. Oh, count me in. Uh, and obviously you've validated your wit and knowledge and, uh, insights on the show. <laughs> so I, tried. I tried. You, you did own that. Well, um, Alex, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. You got me thinking about a lot of stuff really great deep today, which is, I love that kind of stuff. Um, not water cooler talk, right? Good stuff. No, certainly <laughs> yeah. a little deeper than that. A little, quite a bit deeper. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Thank you for your time as well. Uh, Alex is a phenomenal, phenomenal person, great teacher and coach and just great person as you've just witnessed. We'll have him on again in 2020, just around the corner. So um, I can't wait either. Alex, have a great Hanukkah. Have a great new year. All the best to you and yours. Thank you very much and Merry Christmas to you. Well, Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And all you listeners out there, thank you for your time. As always, I love you for listening and until next time, take care.